So my senior year of college, seven people in my life died. I saw like a lot of people waiting all day for 5 p.m. and a lot of pe people waiting all week for the weekend. And I just felt like I didn't have time for that. In a way, I'm living my worst case scenario already. So I, I put up my backpack and I propped it up on the wall and I looked at it every day. And then I put a post-it note next to it that said, don't be scared. Oh, you speak English. Uh, what language is spoken here? And she said, Montenegrin. Well, Montenegrin doesn't exist. We really went there because we found that Airbnb for like $700 a month. What's up, friends? And welcome to The Beautiful Mess, where we talk about tools and tactics to improve your life. I'm super excited today to be talking to Kayla. Like I said, this is a beautiful mess. Kayla Erick, uh, who is a digital nomad traveling the world, and um, she has lots of stories to share. In fact, I started reading her new book coming out soon. In fact, that's coming out January 30th, 2024. So uh, mark your calendars, check it out on Amazon. And um, basically, she started back in 2017, her digital nomad life, and um Basically, her book is all about building a successful career while traveling around the world. Uh, so welcome, Kayla. I I'm super excited to have you on this episode. Thanks so much for having me, Paul. And, uh, you know, you're one of the only people in the world to have read the book right now because you got are, the pre-release version. Yeah, yeah. You're one of the very first. It's not released anywhere. You have the unpublished manuscript. So lock Whoa. that away. Whoa. I, I feel privileged. I feel privileged. One of a kind now. One of a kind. Yeah. Uh, what are the unique things that I thought that you had in your book? I, I just started reading it. I haven't finished it yet. Um, I'm not quite a speed reader. But uh, one of the interesting things that you mentioned was your definition of like a digital nomad. Like I felt like you you don't really have a very uh, strict view of it. So what, what is your definition? How, how do you define somebody that's a digital nomad? Well, let's start with the super technical version and then we can, you know, loosen it up with my definition. So technically a digital nomad is a person who works remotely and travels and is to be truly nomadic. You don't have a home base, but I think that anybody who works remotely and utilizes that freedom in any capacity to work from anywhere, I think that they, if they consider themselves a part of the movement, then I think they're a part of it. Like if you only go away a month only, like, you know, quote air quotes, if you go away one month or, you know, a couple weeks out of the year, I think that's totally fine. You don't have to like scrap your house and downsize to two backpacks to be a part of what I think is like a super exciting movement. It encompasses so many of us. Speaking of two backpacks, that's what you're using right now is two backpacks that travel around, right? Yeah. So I have like a big one on the back that's, uh, I think it's 60 liters and then a smaller one on the front. And I don't have an apartment. I have about two boxes in storage. So that's my stuff right now. I've been this way for uh, eight months or so. So I, I like was nomadic at first. And then I had a home base in the Netherlands for years and used that to travel and build, you know, my business. And now my husband and I together fully nomadic again. So I've also gone through different, like, you know, phases of nomadism and travel. Right. right. And, and I think that's like the beauty of it. You talk about like, it's for anybody it, and it doesn't have to be like very strict. Like you don't have to have the two backpacks. You don't have to, you know, uh, d have this strict definition of what it means to be nomadic. Uh, but I think what a lot of people are interested in now, especially I think after 2020 and all the craziness is like, um, how you can make a career out of like working remote. And uh, I would just be curious, like, 
you made this transition kind of like out of the, I guess like you, you had been thinking about it, right? You had this like little bit of an itch, but like, how, how did that come about? Like, how, how did you like, ha, st- how did that all start? I guess like, because you, you went from being full time, like have, have a stable job and then you took the leap and it sounded like a pretty big leap. If you want to dive into that a little bit. It was a big leap and it really started my last year at college. So my senior year of college, seven people in my life died. Wow. In really random things like car crap, plane crash, dropped dead. Some one of my friends dropped dead at 25. I never found out what caused the something, you know, uh, get hit by a car. So I like entered the working world with this really profound sense of like, I might get hit by a bus tomorrow whenever I step out on the sidewalk. So I need to be really certain about how I'm spending my time. And whenever I looked around, I saw people who I I primarily, I I didn't see it reflected. I saw like a lot of people waiting all day for 5 p.m. and a lot of people waiting all week for the weekend. And I just felt like I didn't have time for that. And uh, I my apartment lease was expiring and I thought, well, this is it, you know, that's it. Like that's the day to me. It was like decided for me. If I know I don't want to stay in this like funnel of like, well, eventually I'll just be waiting for retirement. It's like me, it was like a very slippery slope and I was 23. So I think I was being a little bit existential about it, (laughs) but, um, yeah. So I, I thought, well, when my apartment lease is up, I'm going, I'm going to find work online. I'll figure it out. And uh, I thought if it all, if, if worst case scenario is just coming back, then in a way I'm living my worst case scenario already, which is <laughs> dreadful. <laughs> wow. Wow. So you really like you, like, I mean, obviously I'm so, first of all, sorry for your loss. I mean, that that's significant to have like that many friends, um, and people close to you, um, lost in such a short amount of time. Um, and so like you, you were gearing up towards it and you had a date in mind because of the rental, like that was kind of like a fixed date and it was kind of like a, a leaping point. Um, and so like with that, like you, you said that you had like a backpack and a sticky note <laughs> that you hid and like, yeah. so that was like the, the, I guess like a, a reminder of some sort that you wanted, like. Yeah. Yeah. In the book, I, I talked about that at the beginning. So I got my backpack that I was going to wear and I was so, I like needed to prop myself up so much to make this leap because I was terrified. I was completely and utterly terrified to go and travel. And like, what did I know about the rest of the world? I had never really been outside the U S and, uh, I was just, it was like full blown, like terror, but I knew I wanted to do it, but I was so scared. So I, I put up my backpack and I propped it up on the wall and I looked at it every day. And then I put a post-it note next to it that said, don't be scared. And then one day I picked up the the backpack and I moved it on top of the post-it note so that I couldn't see the post-it note anymore. And then I actually had a friend uh, say, oh, by the way, my company's hiring. You know, if you don't like your job, why don't you, I think you would love my company. And I started updating my portfolio to apply. I was like, this was just a weird phase. You're not that unhappy. And, um, it, it, I don't know. I almost chickened out. That's why I go so deep into my fear at the beginning of the book, because uh, I don't want to be portrayed as brave whenever I was very much the opposite. And, and I think you bring up a great point is like people misunderstand like what courage is. They think that courage is like you have no sense of fear and you just like do this thing heroically. And it's not that like you still have that fear and you act 
in, in like, despite like having that fear, like right in front of you, you're like, I'm going to make this action because I know that this is going to be best for me and those around me. Um, so I, I think that that's really good to hear from you, like that you did have that fear because I'm sure anybody else considering the life of a digital nomad has that fear. Um, you know, I think you watch YouTube videos and, um, like Instagram and it's very picturesque. Um, but I, I guess like for you in the first few years, like, was that, was it like that? Was it the Instagram life? Uh, or was there a lot of learnings that had to, had to be overcome? There was, there were so many learning curves and it's kind of like a, so full of like contradictions in a way, because whenever you like leave a desk job, let's say you're working nine to five. And then all of a sudden you have like, you're like, it's like a Tuesday and you're, you know, like swimming in the Caribbean. You're like, what's happening? This is a Tuesday afternoon. I should be in my cubicle. So it's like such an intense high, but it's also a lot of kind of intense lows because it's very easy to enter into a phase of travel running from something. And you kind of tell yourself this story of why you're quote, like, let's say you're unhappy. Like you're probably not leaving perfectly happy situation behind. So you're unhappy with something. And then you real, you know, you think, well, I'm unhappy because I don't like my job, but then you quit your job and you realize maybe underneath of that was like, you're unhappy because you feel like you chose the wrong career and you wish you could go back to school and be 18 again, you know, like all these kind of layers of complexity beneath, uh, everyday emotions. And, uh, then whenever you're traveling, you're really alone with those emotions because, I mean, yes, you're still working whenever you're a digital nomad, but it's not the same. You're not as distracted by daily life. So you, it's a lot of you looking in the mirror and it's intense, uh, in a way that nothing on Instagram can compare, can prepare you for. No, I think like the part where you said like being alone, I'm, I'm really curious as a digital nomad, do you feel uh, like you have the same circle of friends that you do, like how, how does like your friendships or relationships get impacted by, uh, digital nomadism? Mm, at first, I feel like a lot of people, a lot of my kind of closer relationships, they thought that's so cool. It's so fun, you know, and they probably thought it's a phase and then we'll all kind of go back on the same path. Like you're taking an exit, but you're going to get back on the same highway. And I think I noticed for me that whenever I didn't get back on life's highway, some of my, that, on that, you know, that path of life's highway, I didn't, like all those relationships didn't kind of pick up. Like you kind of go back home and you visit again. And some people, like your old friends, I feel like the old ones that you grew up with, or maybe like were in college with that like formative ages, like those are, for me, those were really concrete, but um, some people, yeah, they stop responding to your texts. And I think you, you, people just don't know what you're doing. They have like no idea. They think that you're on vacation all the time and, uh, they're like having kids or roughing it through their career. And they think that, you know, you don't have anything in common anymore. Your relationships change a lot whenever people don't understand your life. What would you say has been some of the craziest experiences that you've had during your life as a digital nomad? Mm, um, crazy as in things going wrong. Okay. I I, I can leave that up to interpretation (laughs) or like, you know, funny experiences. I I saw something about Google translate and health issues in in the book. Like there, it it sounds like, you know, there, you get put in very unique situations, I'm sure with like language barriers and uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Culture differences. 
I described it a lot in the book. I use the word unusual a lot as I wrote, like unusual circumstances, solving unusual problems. Like one time we were in, my husband and I were in Montenegro and uh, we couldn't speak the language of the, the host, of the Airbnb host. And it was funny because we Googled and it was like, what do people in Montenegro speak? And it said Montenegrin. So we're like, okay, no problem. Then we go on Google Translate and there is now Montenegrin available and then we were at the grocery store or market getting waddled a few things and the woman said a few words in english and we said oh my gosh oh you speak english uh what language is spoken here and she said montenegrin well montenegrin doesn't exist have a good day we're like wait no please explain it <laughs> what's happening and we never really found out what language our host was speaking and we could never translate but on we were checking out of our airbnb and this, we'd been there for like two weeks, we we're leaving and he uh, gave us like alcohol to drink, which is normal in some parts of the world where people like offer you alcohol at breakfast and we didn't know how to say no. <laughs> and we were there, we're like sipping this like homemade hooch at nine in the morning thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to be sick. <laughs> I need breakfast. I need coffee. I need something before I can have hard liquor. And then he just kept filling it up. And uh, yeah very funny didn't know what to do my husband drank most of it poor guy he was pretty <laughs> he, he was unwell after that that's yeah. amazing that's amazing you find yourself in funny another time on a bus i mean i well, this won't go it's like a major story tangent my somebody asked my husband a question and he didn't quite understand so he just said yes out of a reflex to like oh sure you know and then the woman turned around and handed him a goat <laughs> and then like went back and started getting bags of stuff. And he just sat there with the goat. So <laughs> what, what did she want? And got it. She wanted him to hold it for her. <laughs> well, one thing, I got to go, hold my goat, hold my goat. Yeah. Yeah, it's an everyday occurrence. So. It's funny. <laughs> yeah, you see a lot of different animals on public transit in some countries. Now, I can't say Peru specifically, but I've seen people with like chickens on the bus and it's like casual um, fish, like live fish in like bottles, like with like big Coke bottles, like two liter ones, like, you know, like filled with like big fish in them. They're like on oh, dinner, you know, and it's, it's just funny. Crazy, crazy. And so I, I got to ask, where, where are you now? I'm in Croatia at the moment. Wow. Wow. So do you have like a couple places that you really love going back to, or do you like just literally just like, Hey, this looks like a great place, you know? Go on Google Maps, just, you know, spin it and put your <laughs> finger down somewhere. We have regions that we really like. So I love Mexico. Latin America is a, there's a very special place. I love going there. Um, Central America and South are very different, but, um, and uh, like Southern Europe is so nice. Like the Mediterranean is a really interesting place to just be like now we weren't even going to come here it was kind of impulsive <laughs> we had nothing planned people kept asking us where are you going next and we literally had like nothing we like we could leave tomorrow and go you know wherever we we were staying with my in-laws and uh then we saw a nice airbnb in croatia for a month and we thought oh, we'll just go there and then we just made our way on the train <laughs> down here so how do you make these decisions? Is it mostly based on like where you can find a stay for a little bit? Like how, how and like how long are you usually planning out in ahead as a digital nomad? It really varies. We like to stay in each place for a month because in a lot of places on Airbnb, whenever you rent for a month, you get a big discount. Like this Airbnb I'm at right now is normally $3,000 a month, but for a month in the off season, it's 1000 
So that determines most. So we have ideas of where we want to go. And uh, like we were in Mexico for a a while earlier in the year and uh, we were looking like, what town, where do we want to go next? We don't know. And then we found this place that was on the beach. You literally like walked out barefoot into the water, like onto the sand, into the water and swam. And it was like, it was paradise. Most places are not that idyllic. And then after the swim in the morning, I would get a coconut off the tree and take it upstairs and like husk it open and have fresh coconut juice or coconut milk. Yeah, that was amazing. So we only went to that old area. We only went there because we found that Airbnb for like $700 a month. No, $700 for a beach, beachfront. Two bedroom. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. If you're willing to, you actually, it's like not as expensive as people think, because if you're able to go fully nomadic, you don't have rent or an apartment. Like whenever I lived in Chicago, I lived in a studio apartment and it was $1,275 a month. And I have almost never paid that much for and, any and how much Airbnb. Square feet? How much square feet? Oh gosh, feet? I don't know, but it, it was not a lot. It was a, it was a studio. It was like a decent sized studio, but it was a studio. Yeah. Yeah, more than a thousand dollars, and our budget now is one thousand dollars a month on Airbnb. And the things you get, it's it's. I mean, it's a privilege. It's wonderful, though. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, I guess another question that somebody contemplating the digital nomad life is how expensive is it? Like, obviously. So it sounds like you can get affordable uh, places to stay, like maybe a thousand plus, give or take. Yeah. Um, and then what are some of the, like, the other expenses, I guess, look like? The main expenses are just normal life expenses. So uh, weekly groceries and whatever your life costs. Like if you have a lot of memberships and it, like that stuff adds up a lot, but you don't have car payment, mortgage, you know, like water bill. You don't have those things. So you get really kind of zoomed in on how you spend your money, like how you spend your grocery budget or how much of a grocery budget you allocate, like that becomes this huge factor in how much money you spend a month. It probably always is, but you don't notice it as much. It's kind of like, you know, like rocking the boat a little bit more whenever your expenses are more concentrated. And if anyone wants to travel and thinks, oh, I don't know if I, you know, if you're thinking, I want to find a way to do it cheap as cheap as possible, start on your grocery budget right now. Like weekly cash budget, never compromise. If you spend all your money by Tuesday, then you eat pancakes or ramen the rest of the week. And then you've like a, you know, you really train that muscle to like watch your spending, see it as something positive, because I think there's a lot of negative associations with budgeting and money and kind of shame of like, oh, I don't want to look at my bank account because I'll feel bad. Uh, You've got to throw that out the window because you can't be willy nilly with your money whenever you are in new places because things cost different amounts. Like you might think, oh, I'm just getting flour and whatever, my normal groceries, like fruits and veggies, but like going from the Netherlands, like a thing of peppers was like a dollar. And then we went back to visit my family in the US and it was $5. So you can't just say like, well, I'm just doing what I always do. You always have to like, let the math have the final word. That that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, and so like, yeah, and then I guess you're, you're currently doing a lot of freelance work, right. In addition to obviously the book is coming out and that's hopefully going to bring in some revenue there. But like, as far as like being a, I guess, would you consider yourself an entrepreneur of some sort? Yeah. Yeah. I have a freelance writing business. Yep. So I write for, I have like retainer clients that I do ghost writing for, and I write articles for their websites. And I also write under my own name. Uh, I write for HubSpot and GoDaddy and um, some kind of oddball jobs there. 
And when you first started, did you have those all lined up or did you take like, mm-hmm. you you just like, did you have anything saved, I guess, like before you, you made the decision into? I had savings and I also had a safety net set up. So I knew if I go wherever and I lose all my income and something happens, then what am I going to do? And I knew yeah. I have a credit card with a big enough limit to get me home from anywhere and I can stay with my parents. And I was happy to do that. And they were fine with me, you know? So I kind of had, that's what I call the like go, like the, like the regroup. I described that in the book as being like a regroup nomad. Like if something happens to you, and you think, oh, I'm just going to go, you know, crash with my brother and I'll figure it out. Then that you can regroup somewhere for free, like assuming that you don't have to pay rent in that place that you're going. But if you're a figure it out now, I'm actually forgetting the term. They were, it was, they rhymed. Now I'm forgetting. But <laughs> if you're like going to figure it out on the fly, like if you lost your money, your income today and you thought I have nowhere to go, I can't afford to go somewhere. Like you need to have different, a bit of a different mentality. Like you need to have more savings and more uh, kind of like connections. Uh, Like having a network online is one of the biggest assets anyone can have, but especially if you're self-employed and working or freelance and working, you know, living nomadically. To be able to go on LinkedIn and say, hey, um, I'm looking for work. Who has some extra work? You know, and if you have a network, people will recommend you. They'll say, oh, your work's great. You know, let me connect you to someone. I saw someone saying that they needed a writer. Uh, I actually met someone who called this your friendship 401k. And I love that term. Adam Connor, that was it. Adam Connor of Network Wise, <laughs> your friendship that's, 401k. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. And so like when when someone's considering making that leap, like would you say like there are certain things that they should have in place before like going into, um, you know, starting it? Yeah, you should have a bit of a handle on your stuff. And I'm assuming that everyone who's thinking this way wants to go away for like six months a year, get rid of their things. Um, if you are, if you have enough money, you don't have to really worry about anything. Like you could leave your, your whole house there for like 10 years, as long as you have enough money to keep paying the mortgage, you know? So, but I'm assuming that people are kind of looking to downsize and go, and you need to have some savings set up a bit of a backup plan. And, uh, you need to think about like, what would you do if something like radical change happened to you? Like you lost, if you lost all your income and it's not just about savings, it's also about, uh, are you willing to pivot? Do you feel flexible? Do you, you know, are, I think you need to have that mindset because, uh, a lot of, a lot of, most digital nomads work in kind of tech oriented roles. It's not everybody, but it's, you know, it just fits. And, uh, we've seen a lot of changes in the past few years. Uh, AI radically changed a lot of roles. Um, a big industry that a lot of digital nomads and expats worked in was in teaching English as a second language. And uh, specifically in China to kids, there was like a billion dollar industry where they wanted Westerners to come like English, Americans and Canadians were specifically the preferred. So they would like bring people in to teach English to kids. And overnight, that company closed one day because wow. China made a new law that said uh, foreigners can no longer teach children. And wow. like tons of people lost their jobs. And uh, you just need to be more flexible and kind of have a plan in mind. Like if I lost all my income today and I needed to change, like, do you feel willing to adapt? I think adaptability is like a quality that you can't leave behind. And it doesn't always have to be like, you need you need to have $10,000 in savings, but you need to be willing and aware of solutions to stop spending money. Like part of our plan, if we ever lose our income is 
to go do a free, like get free accommodation, which you can get through trusted house sitters, house sitting. You can stay in people's homes for free. Uh, World Packers, Work Away. These are all work exchange where you like volunteer and then get free accommodation and sometimes free food. You can even do this on boats and like sail around the world with a, an organization called Crew Seekers. So there's like all these options for free accommodation that I did whenever I was like you know, in my early twenties and I, what, you know, I was trying to spend as little as possible. So now my husband and I like to stay in, you know, Airbnbs and do it up a little bit nicer, but, uh, we're willing and prepared to do that. If something happens, like if we lose our income tonight, we're going to be applying to house sit tomorrow. And then we're going to go stay somewhere for free, regroup, figure it out, be adapt, you know, yeah. I feel like I'm beating a dead horse, but adaptability is your best friend. I, I imagine, I imagine with this lifestyle, like obviously you've got the flexibility of where you live, but then like you, you got to have like a, a plan in, in place just in case something falls through. Um, because I'm sure traveling around things change, like something that you might've had lined up all of a sudden falls through. Um, and so like, do you have like a recommendation for how much someone should have like saved up like a certain amount of like months ahead or like, you know, can they do it month to month? If you're willing to just go home tomorrow, and you have somewhere free to stay, you only really need enough money to um, get yourself home. But if you are going to figure it out where you are, you need to have, I would say, at least three months, six months is preferred savings in the bank. And you also need enough money to replace anything because whatever you think about, like kind of worst case scenario happening, um, think about all of your stuff being stolen. So, you know, you need to replace your computer, any equipment that you use or flooding. I've known people who stayed at a hotel that was robbed. I know people have stayed at a hotel that was flooded and their stuff was ruined. Um, you are always, anything can happen. And anything that would happen at home will happen to you abroad. You know, like your pants will rip, you'll lose your credit card. It's just, it's like life's same pothole highway and you're going to hit all those potholes, but it can be really expensive or, you know, pretty damaging if you're not prepared abroad. So, so speaking of which, like, do you recommend that people have like some sort of insurance or like, how, how does that work? Because like in the U S obviously, you know, health insurance is such a big thing. Uh, is there something like that for people that go to different countries or like a way that you can feel like a little bit of comfort? I mean, all insurances is like sort of like this, uh, safety net of some sort, but like, you know, yeah, no, nothing's yeah. guaranteed in this life, but no safety wing is insurance for digital nomads. It's great. Um, they're a great company. They are a digital nomad company. So they are all digital nomads. Everyone who works there, like all the way up to the CEOs and, uh, yeah, they're like for nomads by nomads and they are like, they're the best. They have great, uh, they have like tons of coverage. And if you want to go and just kind of freewheel it without insurance, which, uh, some people are comfortable with that, especially with healthcare. It's shocking how much cheaper healthcare is in other countries. Like I've been, to, I have to deal with the healthcare system, and I think six or seven countries to some degree. I haven't like gone to the hospital and all of them, but it's like you get, you know, you get sick and you like need antibiotics. In some countries, you literally just like go to the store and tell them, "I want like penicillin," and then you're there, and it's like, oh, and some Percocet, like you know, you don't, but you can, you can just like order anything that you want, and it's like five bucks. Wow. Wow. So, so a different, different system completely depending on where you yes. are. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the worst parts I would say. I would say that is the worst thing about kind of taking this path out of your home country is dealing with any of them. Like the medical system abroad will never be what you want it to be. 
it'll never be the same. And it can be weird. Like it's shocking how much it matters. Like whenever you go to the doctor's office and the doctor is wearing like jeans and a Levi's t-shirt and they're like, what do you want? <laughs> like, wait, are you the doctor? <laughs> like, are you sure you're the doctor? Like, where's your white coat and your name badge with your picture on it? So I know you haven't, like, you're not like an escaped patient that's pretending to, like, isn't that an episode of Grey's Anatomy? Come on. So it's just amazing how much this all, like the structure comforts you. And then all of a sudden you, it's removed and it's uncomfortable. Yeah. It's an adventure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I guess like as you're traveling to different places, like how do you stay on task? Like this is something I'm really like nerdy about is like productivity and like the different tools that you use to like get things done. Like, do you have certain things that you go to on a regular basis to stay productive? Yeah, I kind of live by spreadsheets. So I'm big at tracking when everything is due. What's the progress on it? Like if I have a project that's due every month, let's say like reoccurring tasks, I will go through and break them down into the subtasks with a little checkbox so that I can, you know, check off the subtasks. And um, I love spreadsheets. I don't so know like, how anybody lives without them. Like Microsoft spreadsheets, Google Sheets, like Google, Google Sheets. Sheets. And it's just like a regular Google sheet, like, and you just keep, do you keep like all of your tasks in one Google sheet or is it like multiple Google sheets? Like how do you organize it? I like to break them down by project for clients. And uh, I break down the different like facets in different tabs on the sheet. And then also clients can look and feel like, wow, look at all this stuff that's been done. You know, it looks, they, they like it as well. Anyone who does client-based work. Um, I've never had a client who wasn't like, wow, you track things in a spreadsheet. That's amazing. <laughs> and it's just a very basic spreadsheet. It is not fancy, but people like seeing that you're on top of things and Another important thing with organization is always being a few days early because you have no idea if the internet is going to work. It doesn't matter where you are in this world. Your internet might not be there tomorrow. It has happened so many times. <laughs> really? So like you, you might mm -hmm. have it like one day and then the next day, like at the Airbnb, it just might yeah. be gone completely. Yeah. There's some environmental factors um, like rain can make Wi-Fi slow down. And then storms can take down power lines. So then that become, you know, and then if I like in the evening, Wi-Fi is often slower. If you're in like a big building with many people, like an apartment building or a hotel or a hostel, every, when, uh, like the Wi-Fi, like the bandwidth gets crowded and it slows down if more people are on it. And then there's just the weird life things. Like one time we were in a pool, we were in Mexico and I thought we were like, swimming. it was so hot. It was like, you could fry an egg on the sidewalk hot. So finally like the sun went down and we were in the pool and we were like, finally we can breathe. And it's so nice. And then uh, we're sitting, there's like a wall kind of like, so we couldn't see the sidewalk and this truck pulled up and we heard it stop. And then this little, like, I don't know, it looked, it was like, a, I don't know, a pair of pliers on a stick, like went up to the like electric, all the wires and clipped a wire and all the power went off in the block. And then it just went down and lowered. <laughs> and then the truck drove away. We were like, what happened? Are they coming back? It was like 11 p.m. Uh, they did come back, but the power did not come back on right away. It was out for a what? little while. Also happened in the Netherlands once. I was sitting and the, a little truck drove up and I'm like looking out the kitchen window. A truck drove up and there's it went up in one of those little like ride like buckets. 
and it went up to the wires. And I asked my husband, I said, oh, do you think that's going to affect us? And then it was like, <laughs> and then all <laughs> it shut down. And he said, they, they're going to fix it. And then they, the bucket went down and they got in the truck and drove away. <laughs> no. They also came back. They were fixing something, apparently. Um, you have no idea. <laughs> so, Never so, trust the internet. And, yeah. and watch out for those trucks that drive up uh, out of the blue. Clip, clip stuff. But yeah, no explanation. That's terrible. That's terrible. So like, do you have like another notebook or a planner that you keep? Or is it is it just like you live by the Google sheet? Like do you even have like your personal tasks in there? Like how, how do you manage that? I have the Google sheet for most things and it's all Google drive. So that's backed up every day automatically, which is something that you must do. You must back up your computer daily. And then I also have good notes on my iPad, which is where I track a lot of other things. And that's not internet dependent. So I always have that at my disposal, but yeah, you've got to back up your computer too, while we're talking about that and not a hard drive. If you are not going to honestly use it, because I have, I surveyed my network extensively during my book research and I found not one single person who could say that they backed up their computer daily with a hard drive. People were like, it's a must. It's an absolute must. And I said, well, how often do you use it? And they said, well, when I think about it, (laughs) it's not a must if you're not using it every day. Absolutely. No, I'm a big, like I, after having lost enough data, like you just, it's it's a must. It's a must, especially when you're working with clients. It's like, if I lost this, this is worth a lot of money. And so like the amount of time that you'd be down, uh, I personally like using Backblaze. I think it's like, I think they recently raised, it might be like $80 a year or something like that, but it's so worth it. Just having that peace of mind and it backs up your computer and they, any of their drives that you attach to it. Um, but yeah, because like if you lose it, especially being a digital nomad, I couldn't even imagine like the important files that you have on your computer and to not have that easily accessible or recoverable. I mean, that, that's gotta be devastating. It's too high risk. And if you think about like how often in your life an electronic just fails you anyway, like your computer just breaks sometimes or your phone or, you know, you need to have it backed up. And also if you're working with clients or a team, you have like a full-time salaried role, they do not want to hear about your problems. They don't want to hear like, oh, a monkey ate my computer and I lost everything. All they hear is you're on vacation and you don't have your work done. So you have to be have a schedule and have it backed up regularly and have a plan B. Like it, you need to be ready to drop two grand or whatever your price is on new equipment tomorrow. You have to be prepared to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and so like one question I have is like, what, what about like things in your life that you've started? Like, I guess like being the beautiful mess, like this podcast in and of itself was started out of kind of the blue, like me and my buddy wanted to, you know, just record our conversations. And it was just like, we just decided like, hey, let's just hit record and we're just going to meet and just like record these conversations. Like, and we didn't even have a podcast name. So it was just something that we embraced, like the messiness of like, are there anything in your life or like being a digital nomad or otherwise, like you've had to like embrace that messiness, like it could be a little bit chaotic, crazy. Um, but like you just went for it and like, you're so glad in the end that you did because you know, the end result. It so perfectly summarizes what it means to your traveling. I think like it is not, it's, it's all over the place. It's like every emotion at once, you know, and it's never, it's not, nothing about it is clean cut. Like, unless you go on a cruise, 
if you're going it yourself, it's going to be all over, zigzagging across the map, twists and turns. And I love that phrase. I love the the name, that the beautiful mess. Um, it's perfect. It describes travel perfectly. Because like you, you almost have to have like this mindset of like anything could happen tomorrow. Like I, I don't know, you know, whether or not like my bag's going to be stolen or like I'm going to have a seat on the bus. Like you, you just go with it, like with a spirit of adventure, I guess. It, it, like is there, is there like a certain uh, way that you would encapsulate the experience of being like a digital nomad? Like what characteristics that you would, uh, I guess, suggest someone to have? Oh, um, flexibility problem solving. Um, yeah, you have to be very, I would say flexible in the sense of what you think, how you think things should be done because anything that you think, like nothing is universal. Absolutely nothing. I like you. It's just funny. It's like you pay for food at the, you know, rush, you know, you like go to buy like an ice cream cone and you think there's only one way that this interaction could go. And then you learn there's like a hundred ways <laughs> and uh, you have to just tell yourself like, that's fine. That's interesting. Like who knew that the smallest task could challenge and confuse me. You have to be ready for that. <laughs> and like, how, how do you, I, I mean, like you don't have to dive into the details because obviously I, at least I'm not a tax professional, but like, how do you like navigate like the tax like and legal like of like traveling to different places? Like, is that a big headache or is there like people that can help you with that? Like, are there like, I guess, obviously I imagine like you might talk about this a little bit in your book. Um, Greenback tax. They are experts. If you're in the U S they are the people to go to. They're specialized in Americans abroad. And thankfully, if you're not American and you're listening, it's a lot easier for you. So I'm sorry, I don't have a recommendation, but you have the benefit that everything's easier <laughs> with taxes because Americans have the worst tax system in the world. <laughs> that, that, Literally. That's good to know that like you, you at least have somebody that you, you go to to help you with those because, yeah, it, it can be a, a, a headache at the very least to try to figure out all the, the details and the forms. Yeah. And people who don't understand what you do is also quite the challenge. I have it a lot, like just doing basic things. Like whenever I moved to the Netherlands and I was trying to get a bank account, it took me four appointments to get a bank account. They're like, well, you need to have a contract. I'm like, I'm self-employed. They're like, well, where's your contract? I'm like, do you want me to make myself a contract? I don't have a contract. And people, they just didn't understand my situation. And if you can't have someone and that, that's going to happen everywhere you go, whenever you go abroad, people are like, wait, what are you here for again? I don't remember, you know, we don't understand. And uh, whenever it comes to taxes, you can't have someone who like deep down is kind of confused about your lifestyle. And that's the best thing about Greenback Tax. I just found them in the past year and I wish I'd found them six years ago because they would have saved me a lot of headaches and going back and forth with my tax person about, so you lived there? I'm like, no, I didn't live there. I was just there for a few months and well, what were you doing there? Like, I can't explain it again. <laughs> I'm sorry. So, it's so, so they confusing. Get, they get digital nomads and they, they've, they've got like people that yeah. have They're had specialized that experience. In it. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing because I could, I could just imagine the headache of having like lived in a bunch of different places, like having to figure out that whole paper trail and like yeah. putting it all together. So that, that's good to know for anybody that's listening that wants to be a digital nomad, you know, check out some of these resources because you might save yourself a lot of headaches and a lot of pain by doing a little bit of homework now instead of trying to figure it out like while you're in a country that might not have internet. 
um, or, or, or some other situation, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So like, um, I guess like, what would you recommend for anyone interested in digital nomadism? I think anyone who's still listening, they, you, it's they, they must be interesting. on you. Like, yeah. I would say if you are looking for a sign that it's right for you, this is the sign. Like you're interested already. You're interested enough. And a lot of people have done this with the different circumstances. People become digital nomads with whole families by themselves. I mean, I started out solo traveling um, as couples, I don't know everyone's situation, but I know that someone out there has probably done it with a similar situation and they've been doing it for a long time. This movement goes back to 1983. That's whenever the first digital nomad set out with the first portable computer, the Radio Shack 1000, I think was the model name. And, uh, it's not new. People have been doing it and it's not weird. It's wonderful. It's worth it. That's, I guess the real message. It's worth it. That's amazing. That's and and you said families, families. Yeah. So like, ha, have you run across any families in in your travels, like of people oh, yeah. that? Wow. Yes. Wow. And it's actually there's multiple generations even of people who have done this. I met and interviewed in the book. His name's Rob Palmer. He was a digital nomad in the '90s with his four kids and wife. They would drive around in their RV. And had like a big computer, <laughs> like like one of the big clunky computers. And he would drive up and knock on people's doors and say, hey, do you have the internet? And can I use it for a little bit? And if they did, then they would like string the dial-up wire out of the house and into his RV. And he would plug it in and work. And it would be like the, like the, <laughs> the dial-up internet sound. If anyone is a millennial who's listening, that's going to, you know, you know the sound. Yes, and yes. He, he would do his work. And then, yeah, but he his kids grew up seeing him work online from abroad doing this. And then one of his kids now ha has done this his whole life, traveling, working online. And now he has a daughter who is growing up with him as he, so she is the second generation of kids to grow up with their parents who are digital nomads. It is really not that new. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. I, I, as you know, with, with, with my kids and stuff, like I, I couldn't imagine like, what that's transitions like, but you know, I guess, you know, there's, there's hope there's, there's people obviously doing it. So who, who knows, who knows, maybe, maybe I'll have to look deeper into it and I've got to finish the book. Obviously that, that's, that's probably the first <laughs> step. That's the first step. And obviously I, I imagine you'd recommend people reading your book, obviously, because you, you've, yeah. you've been doing it for about six, six plus years. Uh, and so like anyone that's, you know, new to it, I'd highly recommend checking out this book. I, I've, I'm just starting it and I've already learned a ton about digital nomadism and uh, feel like uh, I, she dives into a lot of, um, Kayla dives into a lot of like the different, like small things that like you need to keep in mind as a digital nomad. Like it's kind of like a, a guidebook for anyone, right? Like, is that how do you explain yeah. it? It's like a guidebook for anyone that's looking to start? Yeah, it's very much not like, this is the best thing to do. This is what you should do. It's kind of walking people through those like, was that like a Venn diagram? No, it's not a Venn diagram. What are those flow charts where it's like, yes, no. And then you go to the left and it's like, do you want, you know, what are you looking for? And then do you want this, that, or the other? And you think, oh, I'll try, you know, number three. And then, okay, well, if you choose number three, then you need to think about these things as well. And just helping people make decisions and also bringing in stories. That was to me the most fun part of writing the book was interviewing digital nomads spanning five decades of travel and sharing their stories and 
the helping, I don't know, to me, like it even opened my horizons still hearing people like I knew these people, some of them, I already knew them and hearing their whole story and like sitting there and really dissecting it and thinking, gosh, there's like so much to be learned from someone who thought, oh, I'll try this. And then it like had this huge positive impact on their life. Uh, it's just really eye-opening to see people living life in so many different ways. And no one's living it the same way either, which is, I think it's quite refreshing to see. Like, to me, it's kind of like, I, I say like, don't pick up like binoculars and think I want to go over there. Like pick up, a, it's like picking up a kaleidoscope and you think there's all this happening and I can just throw myself into it. And like, what would you say is like the hardest thing that you have to give up? Because obviously I think there's a lot of sacrifice involved in becoming a digital nomad. What would you say are some of those like sacrifices that you have to give up to become one? Certainty. You're going to have to make constant decisions. Like if you're not sure where you're going to wake up in a week or a month or what country you'll wake up in. And like, if you're at home, you think you wake up and you pretty much know where you'll, you know, where, where, what you'll eat for breakfast generally, uh, what you'll, what time you'll go to work, how you'll get there, when you'll come home, how you'll get home. You've answers to all these questions and you don't think about them as being questions. But then whenever you're faced every day, like, oh, should we leave? Should we go, you know, should we book this ticket? Should we go there? What should we eat? Where should we go? Is it, And then it's safety as well. You know, you think, oh, you're at the bar and you think, oh, do you want to have another beer? Is it safe to go home this late? What's going to happen? Like one night after leaving the bar, my husband, uh, somebody mugged him with a screwdriver. I forget where that was. I think it was Columbia. And then you're like, oh, and he was fine. <laughs> it, was, yeah. it was fine. Yeah. He just gave him the cash he had. But uh, he had like a few coins in his pocket. But you think, oh, was that my shit? Was I being, you know, did I make the wrong choice? Did I turn down the wrong road? You know, it's like this really kind of very loud, constant feedback loop of decisions. And sometimes you wish you could just hit mute and turn it off and go back to not wondering, like, who is that salt or is it sugar? You know, like you think, oh, they put it out in a shaker on the table. It must be salt. It is not salt everywhere. <laughs> so these no. little things that you don't want to have to question, uh, you all of a sudden are having to make decisions about everything. Like, oh, can I drink the water here? Is it safe? Can I flush toilet paper down the toilet? That's a no in many parts of the world. These like little things that just, they're tiring after a while. So giving that up, just knowing, knowing what to do, knowing what's right. You waved at someone and they gave you a weird look. Did you do something wrong? Did you use your wrong hand? What some hands are offensive in some cultures? Like I forget forgetting your right hand. It's like all these little, all these little things you didn't know. You have no idea what you don't know. Right. Right. And what would you think is like the biggest things that you've, I guess, taken from become like traveling to all these different places? Like what would have, I guess, been the good results of it? I feel very adaptable now. And I used to be pretty picky about like what I like to eat and how I like like to keep things. I don't know. I used to feel be kind of yeah persnickety about things being kind of like just so. And now I'm a lot more. I don't know. I feel like I understand what matters a lot more to me. Like I've discovered what actually matters. Like to me, what really matters is breakfast. Like I need to eat something normal. Like even just something small. Like I need to eat a normal breakfast. Breakfast is the most cultural meal of the day. <laughs> and whenever I wake up, I want to have food there. And if I eat something like weird or kind of something unusual for for dinner, fine. I, that's fine. But like I know that. So, you know, like I've gotten to know myself really well, and um, that's quite invaluable. I think to get to like really understand your you know tendencies, and some of them are nice either. You know, you also like become really aware of your 
corks that self-sabotage and <laughs> cause problems. But it's an interesting journey. That's awesome. And I, I found one of the things that you said in the book very interesting about independence. Like you you mentioned that like digital nomadism, like it's it's more than just like traveling to different places, like you're becoming like independent. Like, have you seen that play out like in your own life and the others that have walked the walk, I guess? Yeah. I think that a lot of people, it, it, they have, they start traveling and for me as well. And then you think, oh, I can actually do more than this. Like you kind of realize that you can handle a lot on your own that you used to maybe be, think you couldn't have handled or you needed help to do. Like it's a confidence that you get, like even from weird things, like if you had asked me, you know, oh, I don't know, two years ago, could you like squat in a parking garage overnight? I would have said like, no. But then one night the train station, there was like a problem with the trains and my husband and I had to squat in a parking garage overnight. And we were like sitting there playing chess, like we were homeless. It didn't look very cute. It felt like eh, we're too cheap to pay for a hotel for five hours, but this is a bit of a rock bottom moment. And then you think, hey, I actually can do that. Like it was, we just played chess all night <laughs> sitting in this parking garage. It was like zero degrees. We had all of our winter clothes on. And uh, that's actually slightly embarrassing. Like we should have just paid for a hotel, but, but we hey, were too you, proud. You got a core memory then. <laughs> you got a core memory. You'll, you'll never forget yeah. it. Yeah. You realize like, oh, I can. And you say that over and over again. You're like, I can't do that. And then you do it and you realize, oh, that's interesting. Like buses in some countries don't stop to let you on. You have to like run and jump on the moving bus. And I remember no. the first time I saw it, I talked about this in the book. Actually, the bus is like coming and it's not stopping, but they're waving you on. And you're like, why? You're like, I can't do that. But then what are you going to do? There's like somebody screaming at you, telling to get, telling you to get on the bus and you need to catch that bus. And what are you going to do? The next bus is going to come and it's also not going to stop. So you just think, okay, I don't know. And then you do it and you think, oh, I can do that. And some, it's, I don't know, that confidence is so exciting. And, and, and that was on your first trip, right? In Mexico? Yeah, in that was in Guatemala. <laughs> yeah. <like>, Vamos. Yeah. <laughs> you guys like <laughs> ran after it. Jumped yeah. on like that. And then I thought, oh, they'll stop for the next person. Because there was this woman getting on with three little kids that were all under the age of five. And what they just kind of turned and all of them started jogging. And then they hopped no. on the bus. Yeah. Yeah. This, every, it was clearly the, the norm. Like, that's what everyone, it's what everybody does. And uh, you also hop off the bus. Uh, <laughs> they also don't stop to let you off. Yeah. It's. But you think, I can't do that. And then once, like a million times, you think, I can't do that. And then you do it. You think, oh, I can actually do a lot more than I thought I could. And it spirals. Like I interview people in the book who they invested in real estate. That was like a dream that they had. And they never thought that it was like big for wealthy people, can feel high risk. And then they realized, well, I could probably figure it out. I figured everything else out and moving abroad and moving abroad for love. I mean, a lot of people go through that. Like, can I really start all over? And it becomes this like, you know, internal dialogue of I can, I can actually. And, and that's and, a beautiful thing. And like you made a big, uh, I guess, step in writing this book, like, I mean, obviously like you're a writer, but like writing a book is a whole different ballgame. If, if I'm, you know, understand this correct. Yeah. Um, how was that? Like, what was the, I guess, inspiration behind deciding to write the book and why, why the book? Because you, you, you need to have like a lot of like guts to say like, and commit I'm writing a book. Cause that's not no, no, uh, you know, e easy thing. Ugh, I was so scared. I'm still scared. 
but I, I was just sharing about the lifestyle on LinkedIn because this really weird thing happened where I actually didn't share a lot about being abroad. It, I like, it wasn't a big, like, Oh, look at me, like posting pictures of stuff. I wasn't really into that whenever I started traveling. Cause everybody kind of thought it was really weird. It was very alternative, high risk, you know, like it, it was seen as very, a very strange lifestyle. And then after the pandemic, people were all of a sudden like the pendulum swung so far in the other direction that everyone's like, this is amazing. Like go move to Bali. Like it's such paradise. And I don't know. I just felt like, gosh, where's the balance? We need to have a middle ground. So I started sharing from that place of like, Hey, sometimes it's not Bali. Sometimes it's like you at the hospital doing an appointment in Google Translate. Like there's more to this experience than the extremely, you know, like the top of Everest here, you know, there's also the climb. So uh, my publisher found it and he sent me a message and he said, hey, um, I'm looking for someone to write a book on this. Like, do you want to talk? And I never thought about writing a book about this topic, but I always, everyone who writes, I think in any capacity, like I'm an SEO writer, I write blog posts, but I, of course I thought about writing a book because we, it's our craft, you know, like it was on my mind that someday I would write a book and I was really scared and I thought about turning it down. And my husband said, you know how many people have their dream offered to them? Like, really? <laughs> You're going to turn it down. <laughs> so, uh, I, obviously said yes to the book deal and decided to make it like not about me, make it about the movement. And that's why I was so, had so much fun telling the stories and talking about the technology as well. Like let's take a moment to reflect on what the tech was in the eighties. You know, it's so interesting. Like we're standing on the shoulders of giants and uh, trying to make it not about me. That like helped me a lot with the writing process because um, I'm aware of my, like I haven't experienced it all and I don't have like infinite wisdom, but the collective travelers, like they do, they have, you know, all the stories and insights. It was wonderful to be able to like put that into a vessel for readers. That's awesome. That's awesome. And um, so, yeah, like, I guess like for anyone that's interested in the book, it's coming out January 30th, right? 2024. Yeah. So coming up real soon here. Um, so basically, and if anyone wants to check out your work, the, you have, what is it? Writing from nowhere. Yeah, dot, dot com. Yep. Writingfromnowhere.com. And where else should, should they find you? If anyone wants to say hi or ask questions or anything, you can email me directly at Kayla at writingfromnowhere.com. I invite everyone to do that. And if you read the book, you'll see, I also invite everyone to come say hi. <laughs> I expect I have to bump into a reader in real life. Um, I describe what I look like in there and I'm like waiting. I'm just hoping that someday someone will see me and say hi. But uh, I, I, I would love, love to talk. I love that you refer to everyone like as like your friend, like you're, you're making it like, you know, Hey, you're my friend. Let's, let's, uh, and let me tell you about how to be a digital nomad. Like I, I felt like, uh, it's, it's funny. Like one of the things that I do on my channel is like, I call people, you know, Hey friend, what's up friends. You know, like yeah. this is like a word, like, uh, I guess terminology that I like to use in, in the podcast. So I was like, Oh, I love that you like use that in your book. Yeah. And I want people to think of not, not me, but whenever they're reading, I want them to be able to say, Hey, my friend Kayla did this because it's always so much easier to do something whenever you had a friend that did it. I feel like that mindset is amazing. And whenever people say, Oh, that's crazy. You can say, Hey, I have my friend Kayla does this. She works online and travels. And if she does, then that means that like, if I can, then you can I really feel that way. 
And I hope that if anybody's interested in reading, uh, they'll yeah grab a copy of the book. It's available everywhere online in the usual places, Barnes & Noble, Target, Amazon. But um, if you can't see if it's anywhere local, it'd be great to support local books, bookstores. I, I love I love bookstores. They're, they're the best. They're the best. Um, well, thank you so, so, so much for coming on the podcast. I super enjoyed this like time together talking about digital nomadism and Hey, you know, they, it's, it's opened my mind to the idea. Uh, I, I don't know if, if I'll jump on the bus anytime soon, but, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely something that I, I look forward to exploring more and hopefully, you know, I'll, uh, know of more people in this realm. I'm sure there's like groups that you can become a part of. Uh, to learn more. I, I imagine, do you have any recommendations for anyone that's like looking for a group? Um, you know what? Not off the top of my head. There's a lot of groups on Facebook for digital nomads based in regions. Like every country has a digital nomad group and uh, based on what you do as well. Like I'm in a digital nomad writers group. Those groups are really nice uh, way to network with people who really get the lifestyle and what you're so, doing. So basically find your niche. And yeah. like your country. And then that's like a good way to, to go about it. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. And then 10 years from now, do you see yourself still being a digital nomad? I won't be fully nomadic, probably. I will still be working online. I will work online forever. And uh, I will still be abroad. I don't see myself moving back to the U.S., so, yeah, not totally nomadic, but it's definitely uh, exercising the freedoms of being able to work from anywhere. And your favorite place to go back to? Um, Mexico. Mexico, Mexico. Yeah. Where, where it all started, where it all started. Yeah. Had, had you been to Mexico before that? No, that's why I went there, because wow. I felt like I want to see the world. I'm 23. I'm like, oh, I just want to see everything. Well, that you can't see the world if you won't even visit your neighbor. So I had to start there and, uh, yeah, that's highly amazing. recommend beautiful place. Great food. That's amazing. Well, Good thank you nice so people. much. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you so much, Kayla. I really appreciate you taking the time and everyone go check out Kayla's work. Um, I think you'll really enjoy the book. So go pick that up. Um, and until next time, my friends stay messy. <laughs> Thanks for having me, Paul.